When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey. Well, size isn't everything, I guess. Judd Zolgad. He's white. As white as you folks. With empty eyes and a big hollow voice. He loved to travel around with a mean old house. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Attacks the paint. Handoff underneath. Bain saves it from going out of bounds. Floating it all the way out the half court. Tatum has got it. Possession is safe. Shot clock is a three. Tatum, left hand dribble. Pulls up at 20 feet. Got it at the shot clock buzzer. And a child. Shall lead them. Reckless speculation. With no regard for human life. Oh, where do we start here? Let the reckless just, speculation lines be open too. 651-646-8255. If you have thoughts on this Carl Anthony Towns, Tom Thibodeau dynamic that's been playing out in the media. What I love is every single day, there's something new. There's two new things today. All right. One of them is a report. The other one is just, this is like the most reckless of speculation that we've had so far with this topic. But let's start with what Adrian Wojnarowski, the godfather of NBA reporters, said yesterday. I'm just going to paraphrase. He said, if it came down to trading Carl Anthony Towns, if there was, or, or if it just came down to Carl Anthony Towns and Tom Thibodeau can't coexist anymore, he says Glenn Taylor slash ownership mm-hmm. would choose Carl Anthony Towns. That they would... That Glenn would fire Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden. He'd clean house in the front office before he'd trade Carl Anthony Towns. So I'm going to trust Woj on that. <sighs> Sigh of relief. Yeah. And and, and that doesn't and mean the- that Towns is flawless, but like Towns is the type of player you build around for eight to ten years and try to maximize. Yeah, and if Glenn and if Glenn chose Tibbs over Towns, Glenn would be subject to basically being destroyed by by he's us Teflon, though, by because the he's media, still here by 20. everybody but anyway yes what Woj said i can't decide if he's got inside sources on that or is just applying what should be the common sense but yeah if there is going to be a huge battle cat has to win the battle with that said the biglead.com has five potential carl anthony towns trades if the wolves were to as as some outlets and some there's like there's been some smart people in NBA circles that are saying, yeah, the Wolves, they've taken phone calls on Carl Anthony Towns, and they're open-minded because it's not really working. So here are five trades from the biglead.com, hypothetical that the Wolves could pull off. Mm-hmm. I'll start with this one. The Boston Celtics. Now, mind you, the Boston Celtics, without their two best players, are one game away from the NBA Finals. So I don't know how likely they would be. Now, there's rumors that they're going to try and acquire like an Anthony Davis type, just go for that big-time, put-you-over-the-top piece. 
even if they get to the finals, they probably lose to Golden State or Houston, but it would still be a hard-fought series, and they've got a ton of young talent. But the proposed trade here on TheBigLead.com is Celtics get Carl Anthony Towns, and the Wolves get Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and the Memphis 2019 first-round pick. So you'd get two of the best young on-the-rise wing players to pair with Andrew Wiggins, and then Jimmy Butler is a free agent after the season. So you'd have like an amazing nucleus of wing players, and those are very important to winning championships, as you see around the league. LeBron, uh, what the Warriors have with uh, with both Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant, and I think Draymond Green, you could even say, is like a, a hybrid wing player. But let's just start with that trade. If, if you picked up the phone and said, all right, Boston, and Boston's like, we're listening, yeah, and they want to go Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward and Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> that wouldn't be too bad, yeah. And you would get Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and a in a pretty nice, juicy first round pick. I actually don't hate that. No, I don't. <laughs> I but don't, I don't immediately say no to that. And as tempting as that might be, though, for Boston, <laughs> I I think Boston's the one that says that says at that point we're in pretty good shape here. Well, like I think Boston might have said instant we're yes two shape. months ago, but like look at their sick. Like, they're two best players, and they're on the doorstep of winning. They could just come back with the same core. Add Kyrie Irving and Gordon is Hayward and win the championship. Is that an attractive package? If you absolutely positively felt that you had to deal, Cat, yes, it is. Um, it's an amazing package. If you felt you had, had to, deal to him. but I don't. I don't think you'd ever get that back. It's an interesting hypothetical, and it is a hypothetical. Reckless speculation. All right, I haven't even looked at some of these other ones. I'm just scrolling through the article here. Let's go to this one. This is a hypothetical trade with the Phoenix Suns. That's the hot rumored team, right? Well, they're always looking for like yes. they, they're terrible. So yep. the Suns would get Carl Anthony Towns, mm-hmm. and the Wolves would get Dragon Bender, Josh Jackson, and a first. Uh, oh, oh, and the first pick in the 2018 NBA draft. So you, you tell, take whoever you tell you me. Want. Not in love with that one nearly as much, and. Uh, I mean, if it were between that one and the Celtics deal, I'd take the Celtics. But the number one overall pick, but that's the thing. Like, Carl Anthony Towns was the number one right. overall pick that you'd be... Ideally, you would just not trade Carl Anthony Towns. Reckless speculation! Uh, this is the Lakers. This is interesting. All right. The Lakers would get Carl Anthony Towns. And the Wolves would get Brandon Ingram. Eh, Kyle Kuzma. And the 25th pick in the 2018 uh-huh. NBA draft. I like Kuzma, but now no. here's the thing: what this would set up, and there's zero chance I would pull the trigger on that trade. Right. This would set up for the Lakers: Carl Anthony Towns, LeBron James coming to town, and then I don't know if they'd be able to if they'd keep Julius Randle or if they'd be able to get a third guy in with their cap, like Paul George comes in. And now, from the Lakers' perspective, this would be amazingly wishful thinking that they'd be able to pair. Those guys together, LeBron and Carl Anthony Towns, and uh, maybe some shooters or something around. There. So I think the scenario is this: Tibbs comes to Glenn with the three offers so far that you just gave me, and Tibbs runs them by Glenn, and Glenn says, "Yay, or you're fired." I think on the Boston one, Glenn might stop and think about it. The past two, the Suns and the Lakers that you gave me, I think you tell Tibbs, Tom, you're fired. Oh, for sure. So, like, that's a fire. The Lakers trade, if you present, if you say, I can't work with Towns and he can't work with me, the Lakers one, you say, then, Tom, guess what? You're fired. Would you trade, would you... (laughs) You're gone. This is so stupid. Would you trade Carl Anthony Towns for Brad Stevens? (laughs) You would. (laughs) I know the answer to that one. 
Man, like that's a much more appealing package than getting Brandon Ingram. I know the Brandon answer. Ingram. Is I know just... the answer that you would give. <laughs> yes, Brad Stevens. Welcome. Can I pick you up? What time at the airport? Reckless speculation. All right, there's a, there's a couple more here. There's a couple more. Let's uh, let's go to this one. Five potential trades from the Big Lead.com. 76ers. This is for Carl Anthony Towns. 76ers right. would get Carl yep. Anthony Towns and the 20th pick in this upcoming draft. The Wolves would get Markel Fultz, who was the number one pick last year, who barely played at all and has a broken shot and was injured. Dario Saric. Uh, is it pronounced Furkin Kormaz? He's the 20 year old kid from Turkey. He was the, he was the first round, late first round pick for the Sixers last year. Barely played at all. It's just just a total upside potential guy, uh-huh. and and then the Wolves would get the tenth pick in this upcoming draft. Like if you knew what Mar- you don't know what Markel Fultz God, is, that's the know, problem. No. So this is just a bunch of unknowns no, for I'd one fire, of the best players fire in the tips. NBA. I fire Tibbs right there. I like the new twist here. Would you take the trade or fire Tibbs? I fire Tibbs. Okay. Reckless speculation. And then the fifth one on this list is the Sacramento Kings coming into town asking for Carl Anthony Towns and the twentieth pick in this year's draft. And the Wolves would get Buddy Heald, so just a three-point role player. Yeah, uh, Willie Cauley Stein. He's the he's like a diet version of Carl Anthony uh, yeah. Towns, basically. Yeah, Kentucky guy, right? Harry so. Giles and a second and the second overall pick in the 2018 oh, draft. No, Tibbs, you're fired. You're fired. You're fired. Reckless speculation. Get a box, Tom. Yeah. That's it for you. It's amazing how this this Boston deal makes you sit there for a second and say, hmm. Okay. Oh, the Boston deal is interesting. Yeah. Okay. You're getting two of the core young pieces to the puzzle that is one game away from going to the NBA Finals, and then you get the only one a of the, juicy 2019 first-round pick. That is the only one of the, of the deals that you gave me, in which case I believe that the team potentially trading for Towns might pause. The rest of those deals, if you are the Kings or you're the Suns, Sixers, or L.A., you make the trade instantly, right? Like You're like, okay, great. It's done. The Boston one is the one where I think Danny Ainge would actually might pause. Yeah. Be like, ah, oh, that's really good. That's really interesting. Six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. Would you would you pull the trigger on that if 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 it was just a completely unsolvable situation with Carl Anthony Towns? And again, I think Tom Thibodeau would just get dismissed before it got to this point. But if if the Celtics came calling and said, We'll give you two of our best young wing players, we'll give you Brown, we'll give you Tatum. And we'll give you a first round pick. Mm-hmm. You give us Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know if people want to chime in. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Roy Smalley will join us in about twenty minutes from now, and Matthew Collar as well in uh, in the noon hour. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Yes. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Just press play on fifteen hundred ESPN. Terry Rozier, right-hand dribble, attacks the paint, handoff underneath, Bain saves it from going out of bounds, floating it all the way out the half-court, Tatum has got it, possession is saved, shot clock is a three, Tatum, left-hand dribble, pulls up at 20 feet, got it at the shot clock buzzer, and a child shall lead them. We're looking to add wings. See, Jason Tatum, according to thebiglead.com, it could be, this is reckless speculation at its best here, unfounded trade speculation that... The Celtics could go after Carl Anthony Towns so and five, trade Jalen Brown potential and Jason trades? Tatum. Oh, yeah. Is that what you Only gave one me? of them is really worth considering, mm-hmm. that uh, that Celtics package. 651-646-8255. we got some Twins news to get to here in just a second. Hey, Ed, you're on the show. 
Yeah, hey, I haven't talked to you for a few weeks. I'm over being bullied, too, by the way. I haven't bullied you in a few weeks, so this will be fun. I know fun. you're a good guy. <laughs> hey, listen. Don't go too far. When are the Timberwolves going to stop playing musical chairs with players? And maybe what they should do is look at the coach, look at Casey, who is available from Toronto. I think that's his name because I don't follow it. Mm-hmm. And do something in the coaching deal. I mean, look, they got rid of Rubio. What has he done for Utah? Just look at the players that they've got. If you're going to get rid of anybody on the team, get rid of Wiggins. He's See, a, he, now Wiggins Ed's speaking like my language. Well, I was going to say. Ed's speaking my language now. Yes. I know. You and Mac, you're on the same page now, Ed. Hey, thank God. I'm a good guy, right? Hey, no, listen. <laughs> I don't know. Very fr- <laughs> I am. I'm old, too. <laughs> well, so am I. It doesn't make me a good guy. <laughs> I, I got you by a lot. Don't worry. All right. Uh, listen, it's very frustrating. I, I'm not an NBA fan. I will not pay prices to see professional sports. I think it's outrageous. When I was in my 30s and 40s, I had, I had North Star tickets. It was reasonable. I mean, you know, to take two people to a Timberwolves game, the good seats is $300. Mm-hmm. And why don't they just, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with Glenn Taylor. Maybe he needs some help. Maybe we should go get uh, some I, Yes, see, Ed is on. I agree. Thank you, Ed. Uh, brainwashed by you now. Uh, I disagree. I, I think you can get to a Wolves game for for less than three hundred dollars. But uh, oh, he's saying the good duckets though. He's talking about the real good seats. Well, if you want to sit like like tenth yeah. row, yeah. But um, North Stars were a long time. To his that. general question about the Wolves and musical chairs, it is pretty incredible. Every time you think they make the right hire, there's something culturally that just doesn't fit, and it goes. It always goes back to Glenn Taylor. Like Rick Adelman and Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio and Kevin Martin, that whole group, that should have been a playoff team. You have one of the better coaches of the last 25 years. You've got, you've got a couple, not superstar caliber players, but like you've got, you had a roster, you had a coach, and eight teams in each conference go to the playoffs and they underachieve there. Uh, it's, all, it's just underachieving, underachieving. You have one of the top 15 greatest players of all time in Kevin Garnett for over a decade. Underachieve. You won two playoff series. The dysfunction that permeates the franchise now, though, is not um, not shocking when, when you see how it's playing out because it does play out with the fact that one that one guy has to, has total control, and that's a bad thing. And and that's where I, I fault myself if, as much for, for being excited about it and not saying I, I long ago thought that I should red flag the fact that you don't want to give a guy total control. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, if you look now and the way that Tibbs operates and his personality, what's playing out doesn't shock you. What what you have to ask yourself is, can he change? And the answer is probably no. And if he can't change, how long is this going to last? Yeah. Uh, I hear something sad, too. Let's 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 broaden out from just beyond the Timberwolves. To all of the non-Links professional sports teams in this town. Like, we understand that the Links dominate. But the four longest-running professional sports uh, men's teams, if you t- if you take Wild going back to North Stars, uh, I got some math here for you. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So 13, so divide by 13, carry the four. Over the past 26 years, among cities with... Four major pro sports franchises. So Boston, Los Angeles, New York, Bay Area, Chicago, yep. Dallas, Denver, Detroit, Miami, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Washington, D.C., and the Twin Cities. The average number of championships over the past 26 years for those cities is four and a half. That they've celebrated four and a half championships on average. The only two that haven't hoisted a trophy at the end of a season, Washington, D.C., and Minneapolis, St. Paul, which we started the show with today. So... 
I almost feel like, first of all, what I'm saying is we should have four or five championships in this town over that stretch by having this many professional sports teams. Thank you, Lynx, for delivering four on your own. But the other four teams should have delivered an additional four or five on average. And I'm numb to it all. I look at this and I say, oh, yeah, yeah, Dallas has five titles. Yep, Cowboys, Stars, Mavericks. Denver, yeah, they have five titles. Their football team the got stars, a couple times. Our team, by the way, yeah. Yep. Even Detroit, yeah, the yep. Red Wings won the Cup four times over that stretch, and the, and the Pistons got one kind of randomly. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, Miami, not a great sports city, but the Heat, the Heat found a way with three titles, and the Marlins even popped up twice. They've made the playoff twice in their history, and they've won the World Series both times. And we sit here, well, we're, year but, after year, team even, after team. But we're, we're even talking about getting to championships. Forget the titles. We're talking about when Washington won, the feeling that Long describes about, about last night's game. So they're up two zip, and he, he said at, at three zip, he thought this might actually happen. And at four, he said this is going to ha- happen. The, o- the last time I remember that feeling in particular was when the North Stars, I want to say, beat the Oilers in the Western Conference Finals in 91. Mm-hmm. That, oh my gosh, this is really going to happen. I don't even, I can't even know what that feeling would be like with any current franchise. Like, let's say, uh, for, for the sake of this conversation, the Vikings had gone into Philly and played well. And they they were up by 12 late. And that feeling of, oh my gosh, they're going to the Super Bowl. I can't even identify that now. I, I can't identify mm-hmm. the step of what it feels like to be going to the championship, much less hoisting the championship trophy. Well, here's a good email from Joe that feels the same way you do, Judd. It's about the Capitals game last night. If the Capitals win the Cup, then we will be the only four-pro-team sports town in the last 26 years without any championships. And he says, hey, guys, the Caps winning last night just plain sucks. We need some sad music here for this. This is a good email from Joe. The Caps winning last night just plain sucks. I'm a local sports fan who exists in a fog of misery. And the only tonic I seem to find is that there are others sharing in my misery. He's rooting for the demise of other teams just to feel good. Sure. A couple years ago, the Cubs win the World Series. All along, I was hoping they would lose just so the fans could linger in my dimension of sports sadness. Mm Mm-hmm. The Capitals are another franchise that has helped me keep my empty sports soul company over the years. But then they go and don't choke in a critical game. (laughs) What a shameful display of domination they showed last night. Their fans, no doubt, were not embarrassed after the game. Uh, What does that feel like? My little circle of misery is shrinking every year. Time to crawl back under my sports rock and wait for the next local team to get my hopes up. Joe. Joe, I, I hear you. We might be left. This is my fear if the Capitals win. We're all alone. Man. We're going to be left all alone. Nothing. Just Tweet, us. Tweeted out a poll yeah. after we discussed this at the top of the show. If Caps win the Cup, we will officially be the most miserable sports town in America. Was the Big Four. Are you cheering for the Caps to win it? You know, the answers were either yes. I want that title of most miserable town or no misery loves company. Guess where we're at? I'm going to say uh I'm going to say 70% want the crown. Give us the damn crown. We're so close at this no. point. Give us the crown. I'm going to go uh completely opposite of Phil and say we don't want the Caps to win and that's 70% want them to be as miserable as See, we are. This is it. 
This is America right here. It's an even split. 50-50 right now. Wow. Just like the two of you guys. Huh. We can't make a decision. But that's pretty amazing (laughs) that that 50% of people want more misery and want that misery trophy. I'm proud of those people. Yeah. Yeah. At least it's something. We won something. (laughs) But we've still got, I mean, no matter what, we've got the complete choke trophy. Thanks largely to the Vikings. So we still got that going for us. Because we do, at least our football franchise, finds ways, finds creative ways to lose at the worst times that can't be outdone, right? Someone did a study on that one time. There was a website that did like a heartbreak study of losing a game, like conference championship game or blown leads or something. And they had an index, like a heartbreak index. And and Minnesota was still not, it was like third or fourth. And San Diego might have been higher than that, which is ridiculous. No, 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 no. no. We Uh, win. We have breaking twins news here, by the way. He is back. What day is today? Thursday? They have an off day today and then tomorrow, right? So tomorrow they play Seattle. Seattle, yep. Miguel Sano will be on the road trip. They have activated Miguel Sano from the 10-day, well, 10-day disabled list. It was more like a 25- or 30-day deal for him. There's 24 games. And Jake Cave goes back to AAA Rochester. So, Sano, how many rehab games did he even play? He had a bomb last night. Was it two? No, it was more than that. It was like four, I think. Okay. He was like 6 of 16 with three walks. So, yeah, that sounds about like four games. Played first base last night, by the way, too. Well, he might as well if you're going to put him on the team here. And Maurer's going to be out. So Miguel Sano, who, by the way, it wasn't, it wasn't like Miguel Sano was just knocking the cover off the ball. He hit some home runs, but he was on pace to break the Major League strikeout record, and he was hitting like 230 mm-hmm. when he wound up on the disabled list. But if he can get back to just hitting some home runs, it definitely adds some layer to your offense. So keep, we'll see. Keep him away from the spread, and we'll be much better off. <laughs> Let's keep him away from oh, the... Well, he can uh, eat the salad portions. Oh, sure he can. With some, just don't douse it in ranch. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maybe some light vinaigrette, just a little... Pass the croutons. No. No croutons. Here's no, a couple. No carbs. No sugars. Let's talk to Roy Smalley when we come back. We'll talk some uh, Miguel Sano and uh, other Twins-related topics. Also, in the noon hour, Matthew Collar will join for some pigskin and meat and potatoes discussion. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. I don't want to get any messages. On 1500 ESPN. Chris, Mackie and Judd now continue. Oh, well, that just makes my nipples hurt. <laughs> 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 yeah. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With former Twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. That was uh, Eddie Rosario. We'll talk some Miguel Sano here. Eddie Rosario is, uh, he's been red hot. He's got the average back up close to 300, hitting for power. Roy Smalley from Fox Sports North. I was telling Judd last week when Rosario got called up the first time, like four years ago, and he had a he had a double A, triple A on base percentage of two eighty five or something, and struck out all the time. And I said, I I don't know how you can be a successful major leaguer swinging at that many pitches and not getting on base. It's the most wrong I've been in the last five years about a Twins player. He just the way he his hands have to be some of the quickest in the major leagues. We'd love your thoughts just watching Eddie Rosario blossom here the last couple of years as a middle-of-the-order bat for the Twins. Yeah, I said last year uh, that I expected um, 
uh, Eddie to uh, emerge as uh, one of the one of the better, if not the best hitter in uh, in the Twins uh, lineup. And then when he he went off in the second half and and uh, and ended up with the great numbers that he had, he hit a bunch of home runs and and, um, and hit close to uh, close to three hundred. And and I just I felt like that was the breakout for him, and, and because all he really needed. With with that talent that he has, uh, to which you allude here, I, I mean, it, it, it was just a question of him uh, honing uh, in on you know toning down the 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 pitches that he swung at and getting balls you know more swinging at more balls uh, that that uh, that that ta- talent handled the best, uh, and then just being familiar with the league. I, I think he has believed every place that he's played that he was a terrific hitter and i think it just became a question of oh yeah i have always been a great hitter and that, and i'm now i'm a great hitter in the big at this level uh and, and that was all it was going to take uh i just i marvel at his hands and when when everybody when we talk about him having great hands uh and fast hands it's true that that they're fast and and strong and but it's the efficient route uh, to the ball, and, and it's the, it, it, you know, we've talked about this before. But we talk about hand-eye coordination and fast hands and all that. But, you know, hand-eye coordination has more direct correlation with catching a baseball, right? Because it, you, you, the, the ball comes into your hand when you catch it. So it's, you watch the ball into your hand. That's hand-eye coordination. When you hit, you know, your hands are going you know, at the ball, but what you're supposed to hit with is about two feet away from your hands. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and so you have to be able to have the ability to bring the big end of the bat, which is, a, I don't know, seven inches of, uh, or, or eight inches or something of, uh, uh, of the bat, you know, two feet out from your hands. You have to bring that through the hitting zone and at the baseball in the quickest, mo- most efficient way possible. That's what Eddie Rosario does, as well as anybody I've ever as I've ever seen. He, his his when his hands when he decides that his hands are going to go at the baseball, he brings the big end of the bat with his hand directly with his hands. There's no loop, there's no lag. The big end's not dragging behind his behind his hands. When his hands say go, the big end follows right now, and and that's it's just it's just really fun to watch. As a fan, he's fun too, Roy. Because I mean, he he can do he can do some dumb things, but he can do some, some things. I mean, he he tagged up on on that sack fly when when he yeah, baited the guy. I mean, there's plays where there's plays where you're like, wow, that was a really smart play. He he can be fun to watch. He's he's a baseball player. He really is, and he has to uh, be uh, uh, sometimes a toned down baseball player. But but you can also say with regard to what he does in the outfield, with regard to that base running play. Uh, the other night from third base, and with, with regard to his pitch selection, it, it started with pitch selection, right? He said, you know, he's got, he can't swing the balls over his head. He can't swing the balls in the dirt. He's got to learn the strike zone. Well, when you're that kind of talent with that kind of aggressiveness that you just you, you think you can hit anything that anybody throws up there at any time, it's very dangerous to go to that guy and say, you know what, you need to take more pitches, or you need to, you need to be less aggressive. You can't teach that kind of a, that kind of confident aggressiveness, and so it had to be something that he learned, you know, through experience, where 
where he he says to himself, oh, or he realizes, oh, I'm going to be even better if I make the ball be kind of in this circular tunnel as it comes, rather than you know the backstop is my is my is my pitch selection. And he's learned he's learning that you can't tell him to you know to change. And it's the same in the outfield, in my opinion, and the same on the bases. He's a good base runner, and he tries things. One of the reasons why he's good is because he tries things. And sometimes the things a really aggressive guy tries are oops. But as he goes on and becomes a better, you know, a more experienced player in all phases, the oops are going to be uh, fewer and farther between, and the really fun, great stuff is going to be more and more. Yeah. Right, let's stay on the, the hitter evaluations here because we love this stuff. Byron Buxton, here's a stat for you. He is hitting, if you just take his batted balls, he is hitting an infield pop-up one out of every time he makes contact. And then put that along with his strikeout rate, which is still through the roof. He's not giving himself a chance very often when he stands up at the plate if he's striking out so often and he's popping up so often when he does make contact. How do we fix him? (laughs) What do we do? Yeah, it's not our job. Uh, They got a real good guy. Uh, there and James Rousen that uh, is uh, tasked with, uh, with 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 doing that. Yeah. Uh, I, we've we've talked uh, about uh, about this a lot in, in the, since Byron's been here and since we've been you know talking about it together. Um, and you know that I'm not a fan of his basic you know his innate swing. He's a uh, he's a uh, a bit of a I, I I understand how I hit the fastball is to hit the ball left field. Uh, I, and he sweeps the ball. Sweep uh, um, opposite of Eddie Rosario. There's a there's a lag in the big end of his bat uh, relative to his hands as it comes uh, through the through the hitting area, and because there's that lag and kind of sweep to left field uh, kind of swing, um, you're, he's going to he's going to pop up a lot of pitches that he should hit, and he's going to be vulnerable to high anywhere and inside. Uh, pitches, and because he realizes he's vulnerable, then he gets in a hurry to hit those pitches and swings at the first thing that he sees to get himself, get the big end of the bat out there in front to make contact, and that makes him vulnerable when the pitch all all of a sudden isn't that fastball, it's the slider in the dirt, and he swings and misses that, and so it's just a it's a compounding uh, of things. And when when Byron had the great second half, you know, last year, it started with him changing his focus a little bit and you know for people that have listened to me here and other places I'm going to sound like a broken record but but it's he was he was trying consciously to hit the ball to right center field and and, and trying to do that does a number of things it flattens out your swing plane it makes you watch the ball longer it the b and c and d swings rather than the a having to have an a swing all the time the the lesser swings give you give you a chance to uh, put the ball in play, and um, it, you, you don't swing at as many uh, bad pitches, so you you know you don't get yourself in holes uh, early on. There's just a lot of things that that does, and and that that was the uh, prelude to him having the great second half. All of a sudden, he was watching the ball longer, and I don't know that his swing changed that that much. Uh, but his innate talent came out then because he was just watching the ball longer. He had he had more confidence and all those, you know, all those kinds of things. And for me, uh, that's where 
that's where he need, what he needs to to go back to. Now again, I'm not the, I'm not the hitting coach, and I and and James Rousen is I, I've talked a lot with with James, and I think he's terrific. So I mean, I'm going to kind of I'm going to kind of leave it there. But I but I agree with your what what you're saying, if not. Uh, explicitly, at least implicitly, is it okay? This ain't working. We got to do something else. For sure. So, Roy, how, how frustrating do you think it is for uh, for Rousen then to get you know to seemingly for a, a long stretch of period get Buxton, for lack of a better term, fixed? And so you're saying to, to yourself, there, there's real progress that's been made there, and then it backslides. What, what's the frustration like? Because this guy is such a good prospect, and when he's on base, he can be so damn good. Uh, to have these periods where it looks like a light's gone off and you're there and then you're not. We saw him win a ball game the other day, bunting the ball for a base hit right back to the pitcher. Yep. I, mean, it was, I mean, it won the ball game. And it, it's just so much fun, isn't it, when, it, when he puts the ball in play on the ground somewhere to watch you know, whether it's the pitcher or the other infielders, all of a sudden it becomes a fire drill um, You know, because <laughs> everybody knows how, how fast he is. And, and the pitcher threw the ball. The pitcher was running the ball with his hair on fire, threw the ball down the right field line, twins win. And we just need need more of that, obviously. And and I'm sure that James Rousen is. Uh, I don't think he's he's frustrated, but I think he's intent. <laughs> and again, I don't want anybody to read into this. I'm not. I don't hang out all the time and 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 know some of these things for sure. But I would, if I'm James Rousen, I would be. I, I know that you know I'd be intensely focused on every day, saying, okay. What's the process that I'm working on? Is it the, with him? Is it the right one? How can I, how can I help this young man be successful? Because again, so much talent for him to rise through uh, the minor leagues. In my opinion, for him to rise through the minor leagues with the numbers that he had, with what he was able to do, with the swing mechanics that that he has, I think is is nothing short of remarkable. I I, I think he's he he is. Um, his swing mechanics uh, are, are would a mere, a mere mortal would not have gotten anywhere close to the big leagues with with the way he swings. And yeah. so, I, I just I, they they got to find. I know James has, has got to be thinking we got to find something. Yeah, you know they are. I think they're just so fortunate to be in this division right now, where they're only like a, whatever a game or two back. All these things that have happened. Miguel Sano is going to come back now for the series this weekend, and. You know they could Roy, they could very easily just be out of it if not for the Indian slow start, but they have a chance to kind of collect themselves here as we go into June. And and uh, do you still view this team if they can get healthy and and Miguel Sano stays in line? Do you still view this team as a as a serious playoff contender? I absolutely do. Um, we haven't seen obviously the best from Lance Lynn until his last time out, which was was very encouraging. Uh, Urban Santana. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, they made some wonderful. Pitching additions with Odorizzi and and uh, and Lance Lynn uh, on paper, you say, "Wow, that's that's better." But I, I, I think with what Urban Santana has meant to this club, you lose him. I think it's I think it's significant. And and so and then no Sano and, uh, and and you know Byron Buxton having as few at bats as he's had and, and gets set back. I mean, for them to have done what they've done to this point, I, I think. Speaks to a very good ball club, not not a and ultimately 500 uh, ball club, and and I I think if they can if they can hold serve here until uh, Buxton and Sano are, are back and get and and produce like we think they're going to, then I think they're a really very very good team. 
that's a big. I mean, we've also said it here a lot. A lot. If Buxton and Sano <laughs> don't turn out to be who we think they are, they got they've got big problems. But but for at this point in time, I'm going to say that they will, and. Therefore, with the emergence of Kepler and Rosario and with Brian Dozier, I mean, I just think that's a very, and now the pitching that they have, I think it's a very nice team. Roy, what do you do with the rotation when uh, Santana is set to come back? They have a little bit of luxury, probably. I don't think uh, Paul Mulder would be against a six-man rotation uh, as he works uh, Irvin back into the, into the fold. Uh, I don't think you can expect uh, Irv to come back. And, uh, and throw seven innings, um, his, his, you know, first time out. So he's got, they've got a, I, I don't think he can replace, it just automatically replace somebody in, in the rotation. Uh, and, um, you know, I, but I do think at some point in time, uh, once he's ready to, you know, to throw a you know, hundred pitches, then I think it's a uh, six-man competition for five spots, and what a wonderful place to be. And Lance Lynn, I've never seen anyone so angry at themselves after pitching six and two-thirds scoreless the other day. It's like, Lance, give yourself a minute to, to appreciate a decent start, buddy. <laughs> can, you, um, can you imagine? Why, you know, I think that's why you know, Tony uh, LaRusa loved him, and, and uh, you know, he, all his teammates you know, from St. Louis just think the world of him. And, and, you know, he, uh, it, can you imagine the frustration, though? I mean, he, he comes over, he wants to do so well. Uh, for this uh, for this club, he likes it. He likes the makeup of this ball club. He wants to be a part of a, you know a rotation that really turns the pitching part around. And he just he had no spring training and he couldn't find it. And and yeah. I you got to know he's frustrated. And now to to be that close to being, you know just just being darn near perfect. And then to have it end with a you know with a walk a hit better than a walk, I, it, it just hit, all the frustrations obviously of the whole start of the season just bubbled out there. It was it, I thought it was actually pretty cute. It was it was kind of funny. <laughs> Great stuff, thanks, Roy. Roy. All right, see you guys. All right, Roy Smalley from Fox Sports North. Lance Lynn just freaking out in the dugout. Yeah, that was sort of weird though. It's like you pitched a good game. You've pitched about three good games the, the entire year. You can enjoy it. Yeah. You can enjoy it just a little bit. Yeah, like I can see being a little you frustrated don't have to there. Get, but. I mean, there were a lot. If I was going to fully melt down and start swearing and throwing stuff, there was about five starts there where he could have easily done that. Yeah. And we all would have said, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, text from Roycey during the Roy Smalley interview. Long explanation from Roy confirming that Buxton basically can't hit. Yeah. it's it's. But let's talk more about that when we come back here. And uh, we'll also get to Matthew Collar. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I like these guys, but sometimes they think they're too damn smart. Mackie and Judd. Dummies. Mm-hmm. On 1500 ESPN. Get your tickets now. Yes, get them right now to see Minnesota United versus Montreal Impact this Saturday. It's a 7 o'clock start at TCF Bank Stadium. You can head to MNUFC.com. MNUFC. Dot com to purchase your tickets. Huh. Thank you, Dave. Collar's in here in about 10 minutes to talk some football. Vikings organized team activities. What phase are we in now? Phase one? This is oh, one or two oh, no. of the offseason? Phase, phase, phase three. Phase three. You guys are looking and at Anthony, me like I'm Anthony an idiot. Barr, you are an idiot right now. Anthony Barr was not there for day one of phase three on, on the field. Okay. This is a big deal. There is a fire at TCOA. <laughs> 
Performance <laughs> Arts Center in Egan. What? And if anyone doesn't think so, they're crazy. Let's get correct. Yesterday was day two of phase three, Judd. Okay. Day two of phase so, three. So Judd doesn't even know. Day one of media of access, me. though. I don't care about and media if this access. Was Boston, I'm talking about the team. If what do you mean? Vikings.com has been there the whole time. Just because you don't get yeah, access. Judd. Did Wabi tell us <laughs> that Barr's not there? I'm I surely I avoided so. it. I hope. What do you mean? It's a Vikings.com is a entity that tells you exactly what's going on with the team all the time. Yes. Tells you how many birds die every day flying into um, U.S. Bank Stadium. There should be a tally on the website. Ninety-eight, <laughs> <laughs> ninety-nine. That's a hundred birds. Incredible. Tweet from Rob in Seattle: How to fix Buxton's pop-up problem? Easy. A have the pitcher throw underhand to him. You could still pop up an underhand pitch, though. Or B, let him hit off a tee. But that goes back to the same problem we were talking about. You could still hit the tee out from under the ball, and then the, but he'd beat that out, maybe. The tee would fly, the tee would fly off, the ball would drop, mm-hmm. yeah? Problem. So, okay, two-part question for you. Yes. Part one, do you think Buxton is a bust right now? Like, right now, do you think he's a bust? Are you calling it? No. Okay. I'm not calling it. Because no. I'm not calling it yet either. No, I see what you're saying. No. At what point do you call it? I declare the patient dead. I if this continues, I declare the patient dead after this season. But I still don't think I can give up on him. Here's part of the problem, and I think I'm with you because at some point you're not 21 anymore. For him, he's going to be 25 years old in the off season, and like you're getting not that you're a lost cause when you're 25. A lot of guys don't even make it to the big leagues until they're 25 years old. But when you rack up a thousand. 1,100, 1,200 career plate appearances, and you're still striking out one out of every three times you walk up to the plate, and you're not filling in the rest of those at-bats with quality contact and patience and drawing walks. Like, that's a long time to be doing the same things wrong at the plate. And then if he gets hot in, like, let's say mid-June to the rest of the year, do you feel like, how do you feel on April 1st next year? It's the same thing, right? Can you put together a full season? I don't think I can declare him fixed until I see... On not an extended period, but a at least a year a year of consistency, and that's out the window so now because so it's going to be June next week. So I'm done. Our March our March conversation this year was Buxton had a great second half in 2017, and we talked about MVP votes and if he can do this and if he can do that. I, those conversations I think are done until we see at least a solid year. But I can't remember a player who I have been so smitten with despite his struggles. Because of everything else he does so well, mm-hmm. I can't think of a football player who who was awful at one phase. But I said, but he still does this re- really well. This guy's defense is phenomenal, and and Roy's right. I, I think that was last Friday against the Brewers when he dropped that bunt down, and the pitcher the pitcher didn't just make a bad throw; he panicked. Mm-hmm. He went into a complete panic and just hurled the ball down the the line past first base and you look at that and you're like oh, I can't give up on this mm-hmm. I can't give up I mean, if he even puts the ball in play it's a difference maker here's an amazing number for you Buxton first half versus Buxton second half career so far in the first half of the season he's a 207 hitter with a 263 on base percentage and his OPS is 240 points lower than in the second half <laughs> In the second half, he's a 262 hitter with an 807 OPS. So he might as well be like he's unplayable as a first half guy, but like you're trying to find out what he is, so you're playing him. 
Second half guy, he's like Andrew McCutcheon. He's like late year, late career Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah. But a better defender in center field and a guy who steals more bases than Andrew McCutcheon does. It's it's crazy. And I, I think if you go back and look, I think the, the second half uh, that he turned himself around in 2016 was especially September on. And that, that's when, when we all came back and said, okay, but, but that's against call-ups and a bunch of guys and pitching that he could hit. But what was so captivating about last year was he started on July 1st, and if you crunch his stats through July 1st through the end of the season, he was fantastic. And so that's where you get fooled. Because that's where you say, oh, he's turned a corner. And that's why I asked Roy what the frustration internally with the organization has to be here. Because they had to have thought to themselves, okay, he's not a a finished product. He'll struggle again, but we probably won't see this. And I watched that last at bat, Phil, uh, in, in the game Wednesday. He's lost again. I mean, this isn't a bad at bat. This is 0-1. 0-2-1-2-strikeout. Yeah, and Roy, I trust Roy's judgment when it comes. He's just a brilliant breaker-downer of mechanics. Like, he's able to... He, he sees things in swings that because he's yeah. just been watching baseball from that perspective for 40 years, and he couched it, but he's basically saying, hey, I'm hopeful still, but this swing is not... You can't swing like that in the major leagues. You can't have... Your bat can't leg like that in the major leagues and expect to, to be a competitive offensive player. Like, you can get by facing inferior pitching in the minor leagues, but... Not when these guys are throwing so wh- such better stuff. So what did he fix for the second half of last year that at least allowed him to be successful? It felt like he was just he was he was less focused on that long swing and the and the power aspect. It just felt like he was super quick to the ball and trying to hit the ball up the middle to right field. Like okay, if that's the solution, yeah. just go back to it. And if the power comes at some point, it does. And guess what? If it doesn't, I don't care anymore. And and part part of the reason why there was more hope from last year too compared to the year before that when it was just September. A lot of guys rake in September. Chris Parmalee raked yeah. in September. 40-man roster. Yep. Yeah. Guys rake in September. But he raked in July and August and also in September last year. And that gave you some hope that, okay, there's right. he's facing a lot of good pitchers and he's still driving the ball in a pennant race. So, I don't know. We shall see. Let's get Matthew Collar in here from the Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com. And we'll talk about Phase 3 of Vikings Organized Team Activities. Hang on. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Well, you don't really have a choice. On 1500 ESPN.